Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. Amen. A, cu- a couple of quick stories. Uh, um, I, I get to go out and share the gospel in many places. Some of you know that, for some that's new. And I'm sent out by this church. So I was in Romania a few weeks ago. I got so sick I couldn't tell the stories But just to give you two brief ones that tie into what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, We were in a town or a city called Subiu, and outside of it, there are villages, agricultural places, 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes out. We were in one called Rosha, which is about 30 minutes outside of town, and it's like the middle of nowhere. It's 30 minutes from town, but when you're there, it's like there's nothing around uh, but animals and, and farming. And then this village, and I'd been there multiple times. I probably preached there three or four times on last... 10 years, but we did another outreach hosted by this church, and it was wonderful, and it was beautiful, and people responded to Jesus, which is the hope, and so they put on a meal for us. They actually gave me a plaque, like a, a crystal plaque. I, I should have brought it, duh, I forgot, but, uh, but, but, but like, thank you for coming to preach the gospel here. I'm like, I've done this for like 30 years. I've never gotten a plaque before, so I love Rosha, and, and then afterwards, they're like, stay and have dinner, and the answer is yes, you know, whether you like it or not, you're staying and having dinner, so we have dinner. And there's all these people, and this lady is just serving stuff, and she just keeps smiling at me. I'm like, how kind and how nice. And then the pastor's wife just leans over to me and says, she came to faith when you were here five years ago. She, and not only that, that's good news. Not only that, her husband has now come to faith. Her son and daughter have come to faith. And her nephew was playing drums in the worship band that night. And I just thought, Lord, you're so good. You're so good. One one step in following Jesus leads to all sorts of things that you don't even know about. Another one, I was on the last flight flying into Romania, and I was seated next to someone. Most of the people around us were Romanian, but the guy next to me saw that I was texting, Carmen, uh, in English, and so he was, he was like, oh, I just saw you were texting in, in English. I'm like, okay, that's weird. Well, what a way to introduce yourself, but... It was his first time going to Romania, and he happens to be a Christian. He's a physicist, uh, a researcher out of University of Oklahoma. He does work in Belgium at one of the biggest um, collider thingamajiggers under the ground, whatever that thing is. And, and, and as a physicist, he studies the matter that's not yet been detected in the universe. Like, okay, I thought Intel was like strange. This is like strange, strange. And, and <laughs> Intel's not strange, it's weird. Um, but, but he, he just, and he starts talking about his work. I'm like, yeah, over the head, over the head, over the head. But he's like, Hey, I've never been to Romania. Can I just, he is a Christian who's going to speak to people at a university about faith and science. He's like, can I go over my, my little slide deck with you? I'm like, sure thing. He opened it up before I said, yes, well, yes, we're doing this. And so he's going over this thing. He's talking about creation and physics, and, and, he, and he just goes on and on about the order of creation and how God said, let there be light and light and darkness and land and water. He's like, and as a physicist, you see, as we look back and we date the origins of the universe, you see that the very order in which uh, verifiable science has seen that creation came to be is the order laid out. And he's just going on and on. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, I want to become a Christian. I already am one. But... <laughs> But I thought this was so good and healthy, and I was so grateful at the end. I prayed for him. He went off. I went off. Okay, so at the the end of this outreach week, we do a student event, 
and share the gospel, people respond. And then at, at student events especially, because people want to talk and have conversations, I'm like, hey, I'll be here all night long. I'm going to hang out. We, we catered pizza for everybody. And I would love to answer any question or just chat with you. And a bunch of people stayed and talked. And the last one was a guy who's a medical student who's just on the verge of coming to faith, but he was dealing with this wrestling between faith and science, particularly creation. I'm like, well, have I got a few tidbits for you? And I'm not kidding. And I just start spitting out how there's not a contradiction here. Because did you know that in physics, the order of the creation of the universe is verified by, by the word of God? And at the end, I'm like, Lord, thank you. I'm clueless. But you sent a physicist to inform me of what this young medical student needed here. And at the end, he's like, I am so encouraged. I'm like, you have no idea how encouraged I am because I don't know what I'm doing. But at the right place at the right time, God had set apart some cool things for me to experience that didn't just lead to me being more knowledgeable, but it led to this young man getting a taste of the goodness of God and he didn't even know. And so we're talking about the Holy Spirit who wants to work through our lives. And last week we looked at the promise of Acts 2, when the Spirit came as Jesus promised. Something happened within these 120, which led to 3,120 in one day. And it was the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, that worked through these early disciples. There were just a few men and women, young and old, rich and poor, nobodies. But when the Spirit came in and on their life, suddenly they became declaring people like they were speaking in tongues, but other people understood what they were saying. And then Peter stands up and says, this is not drunkenness. This is the promise of God and explains the good news. And thousands are baptized. Pentecost, which we saw last week, is, is a celebration that was a part of the people of Israel for centuries. Pentecost, which is the reminder, God gives bread and food. More of that. Pentecost, the reminder, the celebration, the feast that God had given his people, his word, himself. So we can know what God is like because he'd given us the Torah, the law, his words, his teaching, his rule. And not only does he give us his words, which are food for the soul, but he gives us real food to eat. This is the God who provides. And on that day of celebration, God provides himself in a way that God had promised, but people had never seen before. So the Holy Spirit has come and the Holy Spirit is here. So Pentecost is celebrated, by the way, in the church for 2,000 years. It's, it's the 50 days, uh, 50 days after Passover. So for us, it's 50 days after Easter. It's a Sunday. It's, by the way, if you're thinking math, it's next Sunday. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, where we remember that God did keep his promise and sent the Spirit. So here's the question. How do we experience the Holy Spirit now? If that already happened, how does it happen in us? In what ways does the Holy Spirit want us to, to work through uh, for, as Jesus' people? And, and what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is that? It's, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is in the Bible when does it happen? What should we expect? And where do you see this in Scripture? And I'm, I'm going to give a caveat. 
We're gonna read a whole lot of Bible. I'm gonna fly through it because we have something called YouTube and a podcast where you can listen again and you can slow it down and stop. But I want you, I could give you a quick answer at the, at, at the front and just say, okay, great, walk. No, I wanna, I wanna walk you through this for multiple reasons. One, there's a lot of ignorance, and that's not a negative term. A lot of people haven't heard about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's a new term, it's a new phrase. You're like, yeah, that's me. Like, I, what is that? What does that mean? So for some, it hasn't been talked about. And we haven't talked about it a lot, so I wanna, I wanna walk you through it line by line. For others, you've experienced what people have said the baptism in the Holy Spirit is, and it's turned you off. You had some experience in some church or some meeting, or you had some friend who's a Jesus follower, and they said, this is what it is. And you're like, wow, I don't get that. And if that's what it is, I don't, I don't want it. So I want to clarify and hopefully bring some good information for you to have a conversation this week. In our community group, which means on Thursdays, we had a great conversation. And there was a question about what are you most excited about and most apprehensive about? And, and in our community group, if you're in our group, sorry, you end up on the podcast, but I'm not naming names. But, but, but in our group, there's, there's the definite tension of excitement about learning things that are, are unfamiliar, but also an apprehension because based on past experience. And so if that's you, that is okay. That's why we talk about what we're learning so that we can grow as Jesus' people and love one another. All right, this is gonna be rapid fire, but I warned you, once again, those of you who are watching online, you can watch it again when it's done. Where do you see this in the Bible? Okay, in the New Testament, you see it in John the Baptist who tells us that there is gonna be a baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm just gonna read Matthew's version of it, but God had sent a forerunner, John the Baptist, to tell people what's to come. Matthew 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who, will, who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with, another translation says, in the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm gonna, I'm gonna repeat this multiple times because it's helpful. It's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit. Why does that matter? Because it's not a baptism that the Holy Spirit comes to bring, it's of him thrown on you, no, like John baptized in or with water, we, according to John the Baptist, which you can say, where did he get that from? We are called to be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit. More on that uh, to come. What is baptism? The, the, the word is baptizo, which means immerse, plunge, wash, dip, drench, soak in water. So it is a physical sign that happened as people were turning and pouring their hearts back to God. They rebelled against God. God's people were coming back, saying, God, I want you, I want you. And as a sign, they were baptized with, in water, which said, like, yes, my heart is for God, and I want to be clean and cleansed. Now, the question is, did John the Baptist make this up? No, John the Baptist simply read his Bible. All John the Baptist did was read what God had promised and by the Spirit, he was told, this is for now. 
You have as early as Moses, we didn't give the law, had pointed ahead, something new is going to happen. And the prophets Jeremiah and the prophets Ezekiel were pointing ahead. God had made an agreement with his people, but his people had broken his promises. But God said, I'm going to rescue. I'm going to redeem. I'm going to make things new. I'm going to form a new agreement with my people, and I'm going to do something you have never seen before so that people would know me heart to heart. Not just law to law, not just word to word, heart to heart. Ezekiel's promise, verse Ezekiel 36, 25 to 28, just write it down. I will sprinkle you, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, metaphor. It's not like, the physical organ, but the center become cold and hard. No, I'm going to make it soft and life-giving. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people. I will be your God. What I, want us, I just want us to see here, the promise was the spirit had been working in and around his people, but in the future, God says, the spirit will be in you and collectively you, because the spirit is in you and 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 in you, you together will be my people and you'll live like my people when the spirit is in you. It is an action, it is a verb. So the baptism is the immersion. It's the soaking, the the dipping, the, the covering of water before the coming of the Messiah as a sign that my heart is right to God. But something's gonna happen when God's promised Messiah comes. It's not just gonna be external, it's gonna be in deep within the heart. And friends, this is exactly what Jesus says he came to fulfill. It's fulfilled in him, which is why Jesus says, when I go away, the spirit will come, the promise from Ezekiel and Jeremiah, the promise told and reminded by John the Baptist, who's just reading the Bible in light of Jesus, is going to come. So Acts 1, Jesus says before he ascends, on one occasion while I was eating with them, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about, for John the Baptist, baptized, immersed, soaked, dunked with water. In a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's not the baptism of the Holy Spirit where it's like the Holy Spirit's doing something different. No, it's the fulfillment of the promise, God's presence. We are now gonna be soaked with. It's gonna come deep within. Are you with me? I'm I'm making the point because the point needs to be made. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, at the time you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive, and this is the results, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So something is going to happen. The results are when we are immersed in with the Holy Spirit, we are going to live like a new people. And we're going to go around like Jesus went around 
doing good. Jesus went speaking the truth. Jesus went loving the unlovable. Jesus went uh, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, what's the result of this baptism? We're going to continue the work of Jesus. Okay, that, that's all leading to what we read last week. We'll just repeat. Acts 2, 1 through 4. I know this is a lot. I haven't even gotten started. This is less than intro. We're not even in the intro yet. You're in for a doozy. All right. Uh, we're past the intro. Calm down. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. All of them. How many? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the baptism of the, in the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, I just want you to see this. It's not an add-on. It's God's gift. It's what Jesus promised. And it happened because the Spirit had not yet come in this way. Spirit in the beginning, Genesis, is hovering over the waters. He is there before creation and at creation. The Spirit is coming on God's people to do specific things. But the promise of God, hear this, was always, always, always that every one of his kids, sons and daughters, would be immersed and filled with his presence that the Spirit of God would live in every child of God. Because then everyone can know him. And everyone can follow him. And everyone is useful. Everyone has value. Everyone is a vessel, a pass-through. We're not the source of water in, in this particular case. But we're the faucet, so to speak, where the water can pour through me for the good of someone else. And so this is God's promise. When we are with in the Holy Spirit, we will be able and empowered to do what we could not do apart from the presence of God, but it is now in us. So, okay, here's the question then. What does it mean to be baptized in or with the Holy Spirit? I told you I'm not gonna answer. I wanna take you, thank you, Siri. I wanna take you, Siri is always, she's always bugging me. I like her because she can help me to call you, but I gotta turn her off. Sorry, sorry, Siri. I have phone problems. All right, so here we go. What does it mean to be baptized? We're gonna look at the end. I'll give you a definition, but I just want you to see. It happens, we see this happen in the book of Acts. Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 19 are all scenarios in this, this recording of the Spirit moving in God's people. And I wanna look at all of them very briefly just to give you a flavor of the variety. As we read, I want you to be asking this question. Did it happen the same way in Acts 2 as Acts 8? Is Acts 9 any different? Is Acts 10 any different? Is Acts 19 any different? Is it identical? Is it not? If so, what does that teach us? Great questions, by the way. You guys are amazing. Acts chapter 8, we're just going to read them, and I'm going to go through all of them. Summary portions, 14 to 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they may receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So, 
So Philip actually, who's an evangelist, went and preached the good news there. Lots of people heard it. There's so much going on that these other apostles came over from Jerusalem to Samaria to see what was happening. They share with them more completely the good news. They lay hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. This is not identical to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, you don't see anyone laying hands. You just, you just suddenly see that the Spirit comes and something happens. But we see something different. Acts 9, verses 17 to 19. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he, he regained his strength. Okay, so Saul had been preaching against Jesus. Jesus appears to him. He is physically blinded. He's knocked off his animal. He doesn't eat for three days as he begins to evaluate. I just encountered the living Jesus who I said was a farce. God sends, sends a message to a Jesus follower, Agabus, Ananias. And, and Ananias is told, go to this house and pray for him because I'm going to use this guy. And so what happens when they get there? Um, well, there's no, no mention of Paul or Saul speaking in tongues, but he's physically healed. Here you do see laying on of hands. All I'm, the only point I'm making here is that there's a variety of expressions. Okay, Acts chapter 10. So Peter has a vision as he's praying, and God says to him, I'm going to send some people your way, and they're going to invite you to their house. Go to the house. By the way, Peter doesn't realize this is a house that a good Jew would never go in, a non-kosher house, a non-Jewish house. But God warns him in this vision that uh, what, what you say is dirty or not allowable, I'm saying go for it. And so exactly like it happens in this vision, someone knocks on the door, says, I've come my master had a vision and he said, come to this house and someone's gonna go with us to, to teach us the ways of God. And so, uh, so Peter goes, Acts 10, 44 through 47. Are you still alive? Yeah. We're going fast, but I want you to see it all. While Peter was still speaking these words, we shared the gospel. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on non-Jews, which is just the word Gentile. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one could stand in the way of, their being, of them being baptized in water or with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Talk about wild. Mid-sentence as Peter is speaking, the Holy Spirit somehow comes on these people who are listening. How do they know the Holy Spirit has come on them? because they start speaking in tongues like it happened at Pentecost. And by the way, that was an only Jewish community. Here we have non-Jews who were not there, who don't understand, suddenly expressing praise to God in the same way that these Jewish believers had. Oh, by the way, they had not been baptized in water. Earlier in Acts 9, they had been baptized with water and then there was this connection with the Holy Spirit. Here, they received the Holy Spirit, 
and they're baptized with water after. Do you see how, how much variety of tongues? Sometimes water baptism before or after. The sometimes it's praying and laying on of hands. Other times in the middle of the meeting, it just happens. We should learn from this. One more, uh, and then I'll give you five more. Acts chapter 19, just keep adding numbers. While Paulus was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived in Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, that's John the Baptist, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing them, this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So here you see they, they didn't clearly understand the good news because they didn't even understand who the Holy Spirit was, which was the promise that Jesus had given. So Paul explains. They, they hear it, respond. They are baptized. Then he prays for them. And suddenly there's this expression of the Holy Spirit. There's tongues. But now we hear there's also prophecy, which we haven't even touched on yet. Here's my big picture point. And if you have a phone with a camera, take a photo and dwell on this. If you look at the book of Acts, you're going to find there are 22, actually, different accounts of individuals or groups coming to faith. From 3,000 in Acts 2 all the way to this group in Ephesus in Acts 19. What is clear is there's no conformity or pattern to exactly how it happened and what it looked like for people to receive the Holy Spirit. So what the Bible does tell us is the Holy Spirit does baptize in the sense of they are with or in the Spirit and something happens as a result. Exactly how there seems to be variety. So what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? We're getting closer to a definition that our church would embrace, but we're not there yet because Jesus-loving people honestly have different understandings of what Acts is presenting. And so what we want to do is respectfully understand where other Jesus people, how they understand and why they understand so that we can grow in our understanding and love one another. Love one another. How are they going to know that we are his disciples by how much we argue who's right and wrong? No. By how we love one another. And so there are certain dimensions of following Jesus where there's a variety of understandings. What do we do when there's a variety of understandings? We see each other as brother, as sister, as family. We discuss the Bible. We learn, we seek, we knock. We don't belittle. We don't look down, we don't mock, we don't laugh at. We learn and we grow. Okay, so within Christian circles, there is a Catholic uh, expression of what the baptism in the Holy Spirit means. There's a Protestant uh, expression of what that means. And there's a Pentecostal 
expression of what that means. I'm going to throw it on the chart so you can take another photo because it's Picture Sunday. All right. In, in, in Catholic theology, there are two stages, or it happens in two distinct steps. First is baptism in water, and the word regeneration means when someone is born again. So in Catholic theology, when someone is baptized in water, that's where regeneration, that's where I become a child of God. And secondly, at confirmation, and if you're born into a Catholic home, it happens right after birth, and confirmation, 12, 13, 14 years old, you receive the Holy Spirit as an empowering for service. That's one expression of how the faith is understood. Another expression is what probably the majority in this room would embrace. It's the Protestant understanding. First, we are regenerated. Regenerated. We are born from above. We are born again. We are made new. We become children of God. All of those are synonyms. First, that happens. And then, as an expression of our internal faith, we are baptized with water. That sounds familiar to many of us. Third, there's within Protestantism, there is one dimension of, of Pentecostals, and they would see it as more of a three-stage. First, I am born again. I'm born and made new. Then, I'm baptized in water, externally expressing my faith uh, that is internal. And then third, I am baptized with or in the Holy Spirit, which is an empowering for service, often, not always, but often connected with speaking in tongues. And all three would say, this is, this is what the text is saying. Now, are all three of those the same? No. So what do we do? We search the scriptures. What do we believe as a church? Great question. I'm like almost there. But in order to get there, we need to read the whole Bible. We read in Ezekiel of this promise that was to come. We read John the Baptist repeating the promise. We read Jesus repeating the promise. And we saw the promise fulfilled all throughout the book of Acts. But is that it? No, I think there's two more key texts we need to look at and think about, and then we want to get into explaining what this means for us. I'm so glad you guys are patient. You are amazing. Ephesians 4, 3 through 6. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Holy Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, four baptisms, one God, no, one, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so the church in Ephesus is very much like uh, the church in the West today, and that it's ultra diverse. So you have rich and poor, young and old, you have people from a Jewish background, a non-Jewish background, and what Paul reminds the church is, the Holy Spirit has come, to take a fractured people and to bring us into the family of God. Which, by the way, was the promise of Ezekiel. They will be my people. And so when we're brought into this one Lord by the one Spirit, we are baptized. And the baptism is about us becoming part of the family of God. Okay, uh, one more, and, and then we'll get to it. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. Just as a body, though one, 
has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Jesus the Messiah. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. We were all given the one Holy Spirit to drink, pulling on that metaphor of, of soak, immerse, dip, like we're given the one Holy Spirit. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So uh, the emphatic point here is that everyone is a part, because of the Holy Spirit, of the one body, although we are not the same, we be become distinct parts that are useful in a connected way so that the one body with Jesus as the head may represent God well in the earth. Isn't that good? So the metaphor is really important. Ezekiel is pulling ahead towards you and I being included. By the way, before Jesus, you had to become a Jew to become a part of the people of God. And now because of Jesus the Messiah, anyone, anywhere, in Rosha, Romania, or Hillsborough, Oregon, if they hear the good news, can join the family of God, be at peace with God, be made a child of God. Okay, Jose, thank you very much for your long introduction. Can you get to the point? Here's the point, photo time. We understand as a church, the baptism in the Holy Spirit as one of the many expressions used in the New Testament to describe what happens when we receive God's saving grace and enter into new life in Jesus. So unlike the Catholic understanding where it is baptism is one event, confirmation is receiving on the freshness of the Holy Spirit to empower us for service, we just don't see that as the text. At the same token, I think from our just glance at the book of Acts, um, you, you'll see that I, I can't say that there is a third distinct event that happens. I become a follower of Jesus. I'm baptized in water to express my faith. And I'm expecting this definitive separate experience because you just don't see it in the text. It's not there every time. And if you look at 22 examples of people coming to faith, it is not identical. That doesn't diminish, hear me, that doesn't diminish what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is, this is essential. But by essential, I think what we are saying as a local church is that as we understand the text, this is one of many ways, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, one of many ways of saying what has happened that is true, that has changed my life. But you could also use other phrases equally vital. It's, think of it as one diamond with many facets. Depending on what angle I look at that diamond, I'm going to see something beautiful, sparkle, sparkle. Oh my gosh, it's a cubic zirconium. It's fake. No, no. We're, we're, you know, I look at the diamond and I see its various dimensions. It's one diamond with many parts. So baptism in the Holy Spirit is in the Bible to express what happens when we receive God's saving grace. And there's a reason the phrase is in there, and that's what we're gonna look at over these next few weeks. It's not like, oh, it's just junk drawer, who cares? No, 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 no. This dimension of what it means to become a child of God really matters. 
But what we're saying as a church is it happens when I hear the good news that Jesus died and rose again and he paid my sin in full and he offers me new life and I say, Jesus, I'm hopeless and helpless. I, I need you. I turn to you. You're my only hope. I trust in you. When that happens, we are immersed in the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God is now with us in ways the Holy Spirit was not moments before. But there are other phrases, and these other phrases, I'm just going to throw on a few. I didn't want to give you six slides. I threw it on one. You could also say, it's the new birth. You could also say, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You could say, we're united with Christ's body. You could say, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You could say, we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You could say, we're justified by faith. You could say, we're adopted as God's children, and just read those references. And in the text, they're all speaking of a similar reality. So to be abundantly clear, what I am saying is that as we understand the phrase baptism in or with the Holy Spirit is what happens when I am born from above, when I'm born again. Now, this is where it's like, oh, we all come from different backgrounds. So you're saying, Hosea, but I came from a tradition where we were looking for the next experience because Jesus rescued the 12 and the 120, but then he gave them a new experience. And I'm just here to say, that is the tradition I grew up in. So I'm not speaking in theory. I grew up in a Pentecostal church that I love and am grateful for. And here's what I learned in my stream of growing up in that tradition of the church, that the Holy Spirit is real. I think many of us, we may have embraced a faith where the Holy Spirit was this deep off in space force that we don't understand. But the beauty of growing up in this tradition was that I learned from an early age that I can actually communicate with the Holy Spirit and he wants to use even me for the good of others. I learned that as a young person and it was the, I wouldn't trade that for the world. I've spoken to many dear Jesus loving people who have, who, who have not grown up with any understanding of the reality of the Holy Spirit in everyday life. And I, when I compare experiences, like I'm grateful for this one because it really helped me to realize my faith in Jesus matters and God can do anything through anyone, even me. But the more I studied the Bible as I left high school and went to college to study theology and onwards, and I read through the book of Acts carefully, and I actually did one of my major senior thesis on, on this because it, 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 was, it was frustrating to me because the tradition I grew up in said it had to be a second experience and it had to be evidenced with speaking in tongues. And I'm like, I just don't see it in the text. And I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled and then realized that's not the only view. And so I didn't jettison all the good. I just hopefully began to grow in my faith to see things in a way that I think more accurately reflect the text. I'm in no way suggesting and demeaning anyone in a Pentecostal tradition. These are brothers, these are sisters. And as a matter of fact, when I travel around the world, the most outreach-driven churches are charismatic and Pentecostal. Hands down 10,000 times any other type of church because when you actually believe that the Spirit is present for people to come in f- to faith and that the Spirit is active, guess what? What you believe leads to your actions. And if you do not believe 
that the Spirit is real and the Spirit is powerful and the Spirit is moving and the Spirit is now, then guess what? You live out your belief. And you don't even think about what God might want to do. All right, two, that was a ton. I'm going to narrow it down to two reflections and then I want to invite everyone to respond. Everybody. Now, what does response look like to you? I have no idea. But I want everyone to respond to what you've heard. Okay, two things. One, yes, we receive the Holy Spirit at the moment we place our trust in Jesus. So what does that mean? That means I do not have less of the Holy Spirit. So the person of the Spirit is now taking me and immersing me in his presence and his love. I'm baptized with, I'm baptized in. The Holy Spirit comes to reside inside of everyone who follows Jesus. Now, this should be the encouraging word because I think some feel like I only have half or a third or a quarter. And I need, because I'm, I'm missing part of the Spirit. And, and that could lead to all sorts of longings when the Spirit is saying, I'm here. Just recognize me. So that's critical. But that's, let me give you one big qualifier because this is really important. Receiving the Holy Spirit at the moment of our new birth does not mean we automatically follow his leading or walk in his empowering presence. So the same author who says there's one baptism, one Lord, also says to the same church, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Constantly be filled with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit, which implies we get out of step with the Holy Spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit, I have the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean automatically that I'm in tune with what the Spirit wants to do in and through me. Does that make sense? So that implies there ought to be a longing. Not a longing that the whole person of the Spirit would come to live because only half, which makes no sense, but you know, but a longing for the fullness of all that God is to be realized in and through my life. And friends, that is beautiful. And it is why we sing songs inviting the Holy Spirit to come. God is everywhere. So that song we sang is an, either it is poetic and is heartfelt or it's an oxymoron because the Holy Spirit is here. But no, but what we're saying is there are parts of my view and parts of my life that I'm ignoring, quenching, out of step with God and his presence in my life. So what I'm saying is, come Lord, I want all that you are to be realized in and through me and I recognize as long as there's sin in my life that needs forgiveness, it's going to block and hinder. As long as I hate my brother or sister, how am I going to be useful to someone else? So Holy Spirit, who is God, you know all of my DNA. Come in at the deepest level and work in me so that you can work through me. A helpful quote by an author in a very helpful book um, for this series called God Inside Out, Simon says this, there is a tension in scripture between owning what we have and pursuing more. Just as the New Testament says, all believers are already saints, but are still exhorted to become sanctified or become saints, 1 Corinthians 1, 12, 2. So it is with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We need baptizing with our baptism. Perhaps 
rather than speaking of the baptism in the Holy Spirit as an experience or an energizing power to be sought, we might think better in terms of the release of the Holy Spirit. Lord, because you're here, release your power in me, release your power through me. So um, I get nervous when I don't want more. <laughs> I get nervous in my own faith when I'm not pursuing more. It's not that God doesn't love me fully. He loves me fully. He's with me fully. But I want more power to serve. I want more power and insight to share. I want God to do fresh things in my life. I, I don't want to assume I'm walking in the Spirit. I want to I be led by the Spirit because those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. I want to be awakened by the Holy Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit, but do we realize His power? Do we realize how he wants to push the envelope in our world, hear me, for the good of others. So this is not about spiritual highs. This is not about fresh experiences where we can walk saying like, man, that was incredible for me. Now, I hope it's incredible for you because whenever you see in the Bible people are in God's presence, they want to drop dead because of awe. So, so whenever we have a sense of the awe of God's presence, we're usually like, oh, I'm not, I'm not worthy. When we get a glimpse of God, that's beautiful. When we leave being energized by God, that's beautiful. But that is not the point of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the point is you would go and be my witnesses everywhere, telling everyone about me. So are we fully empowered to do what Jesus told us to do? If we don't feel fully empowered, we ought to invite God for more and live hungry for more. So as a church, this was hopefully the groundwork. And over the next few weeks, even though most of you are going to be out munching in Sun River or whatever over a holiday weekend, if you miss next week, um, God is with you. Please, please watch or listen. Because every week from here on out, over the next four weeks, builds on these realities. If we are immersed and God's spirit has come to live with us, certain things are going to happen. And what I want to do is simply keep in step with what God wants to do in and through me. But it begins with a heart that's hungry for more. And so that's where I want us to land today. And I want you to honestly, honestly evaluate your own soul. Are you hungry for more of the reality of God working in and through you for the good of others? that you're more ready to serve, that you're more empowered to speak the faith. We all know the faith, but we're scared to death of what other people think. And so we hold on rather than giving the faith away. But if you're hungry for more of God's presence to work in and through you, I really want you to respond. Small steps of faith. Jesus told his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait. Well, they could have left, but it was their humble step of obedience to say, Lord, we want to be empowered by you. Their simple act of faith, open the door. For others in Acts, hey, can I pray for you? They laid a hand on them, and the Holy Spirit did something beautiful in their world. Small acts of faith, small steps of obedience often unlock beautiful things in our lives that don't otherwise happen. And so I want to invite you in, in, in this month leading to the next 100 years of your life or whatever God gives you 
that you will be open for more and more and more of God working in and through you. Isn't that a good thing? In that sense, I want to be baptized with my baptism. I am already included in Christ. I have the Holy Spirit. But I need to be filled. And I need to be filled. And I want to be filled. And so what does response look like for you? Thank you for listening to this episode of our Sunday Gathering Podcast. To learn more about 26 West Church, please visit our website at 26westchurch.org.